You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. You may be seated. Thanks so much for joining us for worship this morning, Century Baptist. I was reminded this past week, I, you haven't mentioned Paul Nather's sabbatical. Some people are wondering, what's going on? He's not here. He's okay. He's good. Um, he's on sabbatical still for about another month. And so keep praying for Pastor Nather as he's away, that his heart would be restored and refilled so that when he comes back, he's ready to roll. Uh, in the meantime, we continue on with our ministry. So today uh, in the pulpit, we welcome the executive director of our conference in North American Baptist Conference. His name is Dr. Harry Kelm, and he is going to bless us from God's Word today. Would you please welcome Dr. Harry Kelm? Well, it is uh, great, great to be with you today. Many of the, the, the significant life friendships that God has blessed my life with have been with people of this great state. I uh, want to give a shout out to Jordan Singer. I know he's, he's here. I knew him when he was just about this as high as my knee, and uh, now he's got his own crew, and what a blessing it is to, to see that. I've come to appreciate uh, your, your lead pastor, Paul Nather. Um, he is a man that I've had a chance to laugh with and to pray with. He is truly a man of God, and he has shared with me how much he loves you as his people, the people that God has called him to. And I would just encourage you to keep loving him and supporting him. You have a great staff. I've come to know April Wall as a person with a huge heart for ministry. And I'm thankful for Ethan Johnson. Man, he did a great job running the association meetings uh, of the last few days. God has blessed this church. I am thankful for, for your desire to be faithful to God and to, and to be a part of the North American Baptist Conference, this, this community of churches that Century Baptist belongs to. Thank you for the work that you're doing with, with White Cross, and thank you for the work that you're doing in church planting and supporting international missions. I've been executive director of the North American Baptist Conference for, wait for it, one and a half years. Before becoming executive director, I served for 37 years as an NAB pastor in Canada and in the United States. The NAB is more than a sum of its parts. The North American Baptist Conference is more than just a group of churches. We are a people of God that are seeking God's will to be done and God's kingdom to come as we minister together. God's mission and our identity in Jesus Christ must be central in us. I love God and Jesus, and I also have a deep love for the church and specifically the churches of the North American Baptist Conference. Why NAB? Well, my parents, they were immigrants from Germany. They settled in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I don't know if any of you have been to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It is a uh, city that has a large German community. And it also has a German and had a German church, a North American Baptist Conference church. And that is where my parents settled. And that is where my faith journey with Jesus started and my journey with the North American Baptists. The NAB conference uh, used to have one ethnic heritage, and that's no longer the case. The NAB conference now is a group of churches with ministries in many different languages. 
The NAB started in 1850 by German-speaking Christians that were looking for support and for connection. They were seeking to raise up leaders, to, to train pastors, to plant churches, to send international missionaries. We have now today in 2022 410 churches in six provinces and 26 states. The North American Baptist Conference has churches that have people who speak Arabic and Tagalog and Urdu and Spanish and Chinese and Punjabi and, and Hausa. At the association meetings, I spoke to one of the North Dakota churches that is having a group from Rwanda meeting in their church building. And that is happening throughout North America. The reasons that the NAB conference was started in 1850 is still why we exist. We still exist as a family of churches that encourage each other to live out the mission of God as God forms us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we exist to plant churches and to, and to restart churches. And we exist to encourage churches to reach out cross-culturally and embrace God's vision of one church of many nations. And we exist to develop leaders that God is raising up all around us. And we exist to send international missionaries to the ends of the earth. I believe that that God has called us as this family of churches to do life and to do ministry together. And I believe that we can do more together than we can alone. Thank you for letting me come today. I want to share with you from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. If you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, please uh, turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. 3 to 11. As I read, I would just invite you to stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word. Philippians 1, beginning with verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in Acts 16, verse 12, as it recounts the, the history of the early church and the movement of the apostles and the, the leaders of the church, it tells us that Paul had been in the city of Philippi on his second missionary journey. Now, when we read the book of Philippians, it is very obvious that Paul and the Philippians had, a, had developed this deep, deep connection. In verse 7 of Philippians 1, Paul says that, that he has the Philippians in his heart. Paul tells them that he longs for them with the affection of Christ. The, the Philippians were Paul's friend. God has made us for relationship. God has made us for connection. It is good to have friends. I, I once heard a child define friendship this way. A friend is a person who knows all about you and still likes you. Henry Ford said, a best friend is a friend who brings out the best in you. I'm thankful for the friends that God has given me that do this for me. Paul sent this letter to the Philippians and prayed that they would have God's best be brought out of them. And I believe that God would also want you to know his best as Century Baptist, as a people of God here in Bismarck. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that takes this word 
and applies it to our heart and to our lives. Help us, Lord, to hear from you. Help us to hear from your spirit. We ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you are reading Philippians chapter 1, you, you, you notice that Paul begins the letter with a note of joy. The theme of joy is found in multiple places in the letter to the Philippians. It is, the word joy is found five times. The word rejoicing is found seven times. Joy is the sense of delight and well-being that comes from within. Christian joy specifically comes from God in us. It is having a delight and a well-being and a stability and a wholeness given to us by God. It is knowing that, that God is in control of the world and God is in control of our world. Us. And it is knowing that ultimately we can trust God in His working in our lives. Now, now this joy comes from God, but it can also be generated by the gracious and godly input in our lives by others. It is wonderful to say about someone that when you think of them, that remembering them brings you joy. Many of these people don't see themselves as joy givers, but they they most certainly are. In our first church, uh, we had a lady named Thea. Thea was a joy giver. She radiated this love for God and love for others. People wanted to be with her. There were young couples that named their children after her. With that in mind, we all know people who have ended up wrecking a name for us. They were not joy givers. They were joy takers. Thea was the exact opposite. The Philippians were joy givers to Paul. Philippians 1.5 tells us a, a key part of, of this joy. It was a joy because of their partnership in the gospel. What's interesting to me is that the word for partnership here is the biblical word Koinonia. Now, now that word is a profound word. It is often translated as, as fellowship, but I would like to suggest to you that there, it has a bit more freight that needs to be attached to it. It, it needs to describe this, this deep mutual investment and relationship. It's a walking life together in God. Community and connection are high values today. You, you can partner with others by joining clubs or interest groups or, or, or teams. This might date me a little bit, but if you remember the TV show Cheers had a theme song that talked about being in a place where everyone knows your name. Our, our koinonia partnership is more than just being a part of a group. It is more than just having people know your name. It is a participation with others as we participate with Jesus. It is a oneness that we have with each other because we have a oneness with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This partnership, this fellowship, this connection is also about what we do together in Jesus. You see, we add to each other. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we complement each other. We add to one another. None of us have all the skills and abilities and gifts needed to be effective in God's work. I enjoy the game of football. My son played it in high school. Each, each football team has skill positions filled by players that people begin to know because they're the stars of the team. There are also all kinds of other players whose names might not be that familiar but they all need to play together. I mean, you can pass and run and kick, but you have to have someone blocking the other team. You have to have someone pushing people out of the way. And the point for me is, we are all important. My friend, you are important for the ministry of this church. God has designed the body of Jesus Christ that way. In verse 6, Paul ends this, this part of thanksgiving in Philippians 1 by reminding the Philippians that what God starts, God will finish. We often start things that we don't finish. You, you know anyone like that? 
Please, no finger pointing or rib poking. Playwright Oscar Wilde said, I never put off till tomorrow what I can put off to the day after tomorrow. A Spanish proverb goes, Tomorrow is often the busiest day of the week. And another saying goes, When all is said and done, there's usually more said than done. That's not true of God. God finishes the work that God starts. And, and it is an ongoing work. My friend, if you've come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God is working in your life. And in the Christian life, we experience the what is and what is still coming. We are forgiven in Jesus according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. And we keep on being forgiving, forgiven and needing forgiveness. We're made new creations in according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, and we are being made new creations. We are transformed in Jesus, and we are being transformed. It's like getting married. Cindy and I, we were married in 1983. That is when I officially became a husband. <laughs> but I have had 39 years of learning what it means to be Cindy's husband. This work of God in us as those who follow Jesus is the work of discipleship and of spiritual formation. It is the work of growing in Jesus. It is the work of being refined and formed and reformed. And this work has always been this beautiful mystery to me because it's, it's God's work, but it's also our work. My work, your work as a believer. It is a work that God asks us to join him in. God asks for my investment and effort and my commitment and priority in this. God wants us to be personally and actively involved in the growth of our faith. But the other part of this incredible spiritual mystery is that it is a spiritual work. And so it's always done under the gracious action of God. We are formed by God into the image of Christ. Isn't that incredible? And what God starts, God finishes. Maybe some of you are, are, are getting a little discouraged about the work in you. And maybe the word that you need to hear is that God wants you involved in that work. You need to do the things that, that, work, that work in you. But know that God finishes what he starts. God has this long view of the work of discipleship in our lives. And this process of being like Jesus will not end until we end. Until our lives come to an end. And that end is when we go to meet Jesus or if Jesus comes back to this earth. And that's the meaning in verse 6 of until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, in verse 9, we see what Paul requests for these Philippians, these friends, these people that he loves. Paul's request is that their love would abound more and more. The, the word used for love here is agape. Agape is the love of God. The, the love of God is sacrificial, and it gives and gives and gives some more. Agape love is a love without limits. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8, it describes God's love. This is what it says. Love is patient and kind. It's not envious or boastful, proud, rude, or self-seeking. It doesn't anger easily. It does not keep score. This love seeks truth, not evil. It always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. This love never fails. This love is so different from what is commonly used today when we use the term love. Human love is very different from this. This self-centered love is, is, is really based on meeting my needs and wants and expectations. This self-centered love is, is a love that can kind of come and go pretty quickly. A man had a pendant made for his girlfriend. On one side it had written, 
I will love you forever and ever. On the other side, he had written, if this pendant is discarded, please return to, and he put his name and address. Yeah, you see, he was obviously preparing for another possibility than forever love. You see, in contrast, agape love is this commitment. It has a firmness and a strength to it. It's seen in practical actions. It's a love that encourages and seeks God's best for others. You know, when, when I said, when all is said and done, more is said than done, that's not true of agape love. With agape love, there is always more done than said. In verse 9, Paul's prayer request is that this love is to abound more and more in them. Now, now the word abound means to overflow. It's, it's a love that just keeps on coming. How is that possible? God's love is found in the grace of God, the goodness of God, the character of God. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. God's love has no limit because God has no limit. Agape love doesn't come from us. It comes from God in us and through us. Think of a glass placed under a faucet with that faucet turned on. It fills the glass and then it it, it overflows. You see, the water isn't limited to the glass. It just keeps coming. And I want to suggest to you that as a picture of God's love. It's not based on us or limited to us. It is based on the eternal and unlimited God. And that agape love is to flow in and through us. And it is connected to our faith. The more we grow in our faith in God through Jesus, the more our agape love capacity grows. You see, God's love doesn't change. It is there. But you see, we, as we grow, begin to acknowledge more and understand more God's love and and what it means to have God's love flow through us. Verse 9 tells us that this agape love is to abound in knowledge and depth of insight. This reference to to knowledge in verse 9 is not just what we gain from the study of books or or taking of classes or or the watching of YouTube videos. It is specific to our walk of faith. It is based on knowing who God is and understanding who God is. It is based on understanding and knowing who God is as it is revealed to us in God's Word. The other phrase, depth of insight, is an insight that discerns what God is leading us to do in in a situation. See, agape love, as it abounds more and more, gives us an understanding of life, but it also gives us an understanding of, of how we are to negotiate life. It is always practical, motivating, influential, and active. Well, in Philippians 1, verses 10 and 11, we're given the results or outcomes that Paul is pointing to in the lives of these beloved Philippians. In verse 10, Paul is wanting them to be able to discern what is best. Now, I've had this ongoing discussion with friends about the words good and pretty good. If you say something is good, is it better than pretty good or less? Most of us would think there's no question about the term best. It's above all. Good, pretty good, better than best. But is it your best? Or is it my best? Or is it a group's best? The issue is by what standard? I recently read that the distance of a yard, which we know to be 36 inches, was originally measured as the distance from the nose of King Henry I to the end of his thumb. So what happens if the next king's nose is longer or his arms shorter? We need a true standard of measure to know what is best. The best is God's best, not your best, not my best. God's best is God's will. God's best is found in who God is and what God does. It is God's love and mercy. It is God's justice and righteousness. There is nothing better than God's best. It is God's will being done. It is God's 
kingdom coming. It is living through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is living the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. That is what God wants for you to know the best. The best in your relationship to each other and the best as you share his love with those around you. A boy was sitting with his grandma and reading his favorite book. When they got done, he turned and gave grandma a big hug and said, I like it best when I'm with you, grandma. Isn't that great? It's a bit of a shout out for all the grandmas and grandpas out there. But as a grandpa married to a grandma, I know that that is a tall order for me to deliver. It is only in God through Jesus that we are at our best. The next result Paul mentions in verse 10 is that believers would be pure and blameless. Now the Greek word for pure can also be translated as sincere. Or, or without, hidden, without hidden motives. There's no deceit or duplicity in this. Being pure is essentially walking in God what you talk in God. It's about living fully in step with God's will and wish. It is being the same in public that you are in private and vice versa. And tied to this is blameless. Bla- blameless means we are living in a way that carries no blame or Or offense. When you play sports, you know all about a flag being thrown or a foul being called for an offense committed. Being blameless means that we live in a consistent and a godly way. We're living in a way where nothing gets in the way of our relationship to God and God's love coming through us to those around us. Well, the last result or outcome mentioned in verse 11 is to be filled with the fruit of righteousness in Jesus Christ. At its most basic, righteousness is doing what is right. This is a rightness according to God, a doing what God directs and commands and wills. And the word fruit is used here in this phrase, the fruit of righteousness. Now the word fruit is used in many other places in the scriptures. John 15, 4 and 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Paul talks about fruit in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 as the fruit of God's Spirit working in us. Fruit is a good thing. When a fruit tree is healthy, it produces fruit. The fruit of righteousness is the result of living in God and seeking fully to live in God's will. There is a right way to go. There is a right thing to do. There is a right thing to say. It is God's thing. The fruit of righteousness is to be found in us. It is a life that is seeking God and the things of God. I believe that God has started a good work here at Century. I believe that God has started a good work in you, the people of Century Baptist. And God will finish it. But God wants you to abound in his love. And the evidence of that will be found in how you live life with each other and how you live life when you go to your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood? Is the agape love of God something that flows out of you? Are you in your life discerning what is best? Are you walking your talk? Is there evidence of the fruit of righteousness in you and through you? I'm so thankful for this time together around this word. But it really is before God and His Spirit that we sit today and we ask God to shine His light into our life, into who we are. May God add His blessing to His word in your life today. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for the opportunity that we have today to consider 
who you are and what you are doing. I thank you for Paul's relationship to the Philippians and how it really fueled this, this, this letter and this first chapter. And Lord, I know that you have a deep love for us and you desire us to know your love fully and to live your love, your love fully to those around us. Help us to do that. In your name we pray. Amen.